0: The
1: Truth News Network. In a world
0: where up is down and sideways is a way of life, when the truth one moment is a lie the next, and everything is your fault, you need hope. You need clarity. You need TNN,
1: The Truth News
0: Network,
2: and Dan Newman. I'm pretty sure we can dot a few I's and cross a few T's. Together. This is a group effort here, folks, finding the truth and spreading it around among those we know and even around those that we may not know that just need to hear some facts. Isn't it interesting to watch how President Biden's approval ratings are being impacted by news? Now, think about what I just said news impacting. President Biden, have you noticed there's a groundswell of pushback from the mainstream media? Believe it or not, they're not, in this case, just laying there and propping up whoever the Democrat in power is and letting anything and everything they say, everything they do, just giving them a free pass for it. We haven't seen this in a while. I mean, a journalism society that's actually, uh, being (laughs) journalists, it's a, it's a new thing for us in this contemporary world in which we find ourselves today. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Really? I mean, really, sincerely, how are you? Are you weathering this storm? And it is a storm. Don't want to minimize the fact that we're in the midst of a storm, life-changing storm. And we get a storm shower after storm shower, it seems like, almost every day. But you know what's interesting? Here's one reason why I today applaud my fellow Americans. It seems like because of the pandemic, because of the lockdowns, because of the pending mandates of all kinds, masks and vaccinations, because of the uproar that we watched looked on in horror happening in the withdrawal out of Afghanistan and we see now every day the lies from people on the left side of the aisle and the far far left and they're being exposed we're actually seeing and hearing and listening to the lies and more and more Americans are saying hmm maybe I missed something you know why I think it Uh, Americans, more Americans are awakening to all this, it's because those of us that are on the side of, hey, let's just get everything out in the open and make some good decisions, we're praying about it. We've been praying for the circumstances. And I think God's got this. He is the one that says he despises lying, and he despises those who lie and do so continually. Maybe, 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 like my mom and dad used to tell me all the time. What you do, even if we don't know about it and find out about it, what you do that's bad, it'll catch up with you, Dan. It'll catch up with you. Maybe Joe, maybe the Democrats, maybe everybody in politics, not just a Democrat, but anybody in politics that has built a life or built a career based principally upon lies, maybe, just maybe, it's catching up with them. Maybe more of that's being exposed. Let's hope so. Do you know how close we are to a weekend? I mean, these short weeks really messed me up. We didn't have a work day on Monday, even though we we were celebrating Labor Day. And here we are. We just got one day left. Big weekend around the nation. Football's back. And it begins, guess when, tonight. Tonight, NFL Network has the opening regular season game of the 2021 20, season, the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, Tom Brady. It's going to be an interesting, interesting ball game. It's going to be an interesting season this year because as much change as we watched because of COVID-19 last season, there's still a bunch of it out there. And with all the uproar continuing, uncertainty, all kinds of stuff being intimated to be truthful, thrown out into the society and everybody's questioning everybody and questioning everything. It's gonna be uncertain. It's gonna be interesting to watch how these NFL teams handle the crowd stuff at these ball games. You know, the social distancing and mandatory mask thing. You know, <laughs> there are so many conundrums that come out of this. We were told at the very beginning, oh, pretty safe to go anywhere. And be outside because our bodies need vitamin D and we get vitamin D in the best form from the sunshine from being out in it. No mask requirement, you know, don't just get all huggly up, you know, kind of disperse and stay a little bit apart, but it's no big deal. But inside's where COVID dominates our lives. And then all of a sudden, the last six months, well, you better rethink this outside stuff. You better just stay away from everybody. Wouldn't it be nice for just a little while to have a 100% free atmosphere to where we can just do the things that we want to do, that we're comfortable, that we're okay doing them? You know, maybe putting some trust in us to be adults, to be humans that are mature and educated, and concerned about our lives and those around us. That'd be nice. Golly, we haven't had that in about, what, 18 months? (laughs) Maybe we can get a breath of that fresh air sometime this fall. I'm praying for it. So what is on the calendar, the agenda today at TNN Live? We have so many things to discuss. President Biden's going to make a big speech today and it's about COVID-19. Now, what the White House did was a little bit unusual. When uh, this was put on the schedule, that his schedule is public. Anybody can grab it. At least know what's on the schedule. Obviously, there are things that happen, meetings, etc., phone calls uh, that aren't on the schedule. We don't see those. But on the most part, the regular stuff we see. So when this went on the calendar, Jen Psaki, felt that it was important enough for her as the press secretary to reach out and give everybody kind of a a look-see of what's going to happen. So here's how CBS this morning talked about President Biden's um, little briefing of the American people regarding COVID, and I think it's going to happen after lunch. Here's CBS This Morning.
3: Another big development today. President Biden is expected to announce a new federal strategy to fight the pandemic. Nancy Cortes is at the White House for us once again with more on what to expect. Nancy, good morning.
4: Good morning, Tony. The White House is calling this a robust plan to combat rising COVID cases, but we'll have to wait until later today to see whether it includes any major new policies like the one under consideration in Los Angeles. Here are the broad goals behind the White House plan. Six focus areas, including increasing testing, requiring masks, keeping schools safely open, protecting the fragile economic recovery, improving care, and getting shots in the arms of the unvaccinated. Now, this recent surge of cases the White House concedes could endanger the economic recovery, especially now that some of the protections the president supported have expired, like increased unemployment benefits and that eviction moratorium. A source familiar with the strategy tells CBS News that the president will provide an update on booster shots today. We'll also hear from him on vaccine mandates, though we still believe that a federal vaccine mandate is very unlikely. Nate.
3: Let's hope this next strategy is our best strategy and we all
0: collectively adopt it. Nancy, thank you.
2: (laughs) Let's hope our next strategy is one that we can all adopt, like that's ever gonna happen. Strategy, you know, the strategy of this White House has always been follow the science, follow the science. What they really mean when they say that is follow the scientist. Not the science, follow the scientist. And with this latest uproar about the Delta variant and the spike in cases, you know, they don't ever talk to us about death. They talk to us about case confirmation positives. In other words, cases. And they don't talk about the fact that our own federal government, CDC, is canceling the use of... um, the PRC testing that we were told from the very beginning, you got to rely on it. It's the, it's the bomb. It's the truth. The accuracy is unquestionable. When we found out, it is questionable. Results from those tests have been questionable. And the questioning comes from the fact that almost half, in many cases, almost half of the results that are positive are false positives. Now, they didn't make a big, major announcement of that. The CDC just, on their website, put something out, I guess about three or four weeks ago, saying, uh, at the end of this year, we're going to move to some different types of tests, and the reason we are is we can no longer rely on the efficacy of the PRC test. But yet, we're still using those tests, and the numbers they're giving us regarding positive cases are based on those test results. So, again, confusion from our government, from the scientist, and they say it's the science, but it's not. It's from the scientist. Do you know, we found out, they can manipulate the test themselves in regarding cycles, and I'm not exactly sure what the cycles mean and what they represent, but the number of cycles in each test, when they have more cycles apparently, you're going to get more positive results. But when they're dialed back and the cycles are lower, you get more accurate test results. So, easy question. Apparently not an easy answer, but an easy question is, why don't we just make the cycles included in every test exactly the same? That way we would get consistency in test results. Maybe what I just said means that I'm a scientist. And maybe that's a scientific thing we ought to look into. I don't know. But all of the, not all of, but most of the panic that we're in again in this pandemic is based upon what? Not numbers of deaths of Americans, but based on the number of positive COVID cases. So the other day, we exhaustively went through and we gave you a month by month from the very beginning of this COVID-19 thing back more than a year ago, we gave you the monthly numbers of deaths in the United States. I'm not going to go all the way back through it, but uh, remember this Delta variant thing they've been preaching to us about and how horrible it is and everybody got to go back to masking and social distancing and not going out in public and all those kinds of things. And, of course, mass mandates. They said this began to spike in the month of May, that it just took off. Well, I would think our government would be looking at the total package before they scare us to death, predicting death for all of us. And the total package would include one little bitty thing they're not talking about at all. The numbers of death. The numbers of deaths that happen at COVID-19's hands. Folks, we spiked. Now, this is according to the CDC. We spiked in January of this year with 104,265 deaths. The month before, there were 98,000. Well, January, it went over the century line. Then in February, it dropped 46,931. In March... It dropped 22,693. In April, it dropped 18,312. In May, it dropped again 14,366. In June, the June number cut in half from May to 7,010. And in July, folks, 1,208. Does it sound to you like we may be having more of those PRC test positive issues because those case numbers are zooming. But the death number is not going up proportionately. In fact, it's not going up at all. There's something going on. Just make sure you wrap your brain around the fact when they start throwing out this information and they say it is factual, always confirm somewhere there are sources. I want to tell you something you may not have believed until I say this, but our government doesn't know everything about everything. And when they tell us a lot of things are factual, they're not factual. In most cases, they're either just someone's quote-unquote opinion and I'm not saying they're going to lie to us, but I would say they're, in many cases, opinion or just ball-faced lies. Can I say that like that? Well, I already did. And we're finding out every day, more and more and more, our government's being untruthful to us in many cases. So we're going to come back, and wait a minute, I can't say that. We're going to circle back in a little bit, got a few more COVID things we want to talk about, but let's talk about Afghanistan. It's going to be an issue, bigger than it is right now, bigger than it has been, folks, in a lot of different ways. Let me just start as we head into the weekend where we're going to look back 20 years ago to the anniversary of the attack on the Twin Towers in New York City, the death of 2,900-plus Americans, initiated, believed to be initiated by Al-Qaeda, And if you remember, when we went into Afghanistan, it wasn't to go in there and blow up and get rid of every radical Islamist that was there, the Taliban. It was to stop the nation of Afghanistan continuing to be a hotbed of the establishment of Al-Qaeda, where Al-Qaeda was initiating these terrorist attacks all around the world. And it was to make sure that didn't happen. For the most part, we were successful in doing that in Afghanistan. But then this stupid thing that this administration did, I can't see. I'm always looking for a a, a good part of everything that happens. I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Folks in this crazy withdrawal, if you can even call it a withdrawal, um, running away from Afghanistan, I haven't found one little bitty good thing that I can say was accomplished with this withdrawal. And I'm not going to harp on the negative things that went on. We know all about that. There have been some lies, and we're going to get into that in just a few moments. And the lies that have been told are impacting Americans' lives right now as we speak today. But this one thing came out overnight that just blows my mind. Our Secretary of Defense General Lloyd Austin, he actually, yesterday afternoon, conceded that the Al-Qaeda global terrorist group that used Afghanistan as a base to attack us in 2001 is now free, his words, to regroup there and take on the world following our rushed withdrawal. He didn't use the term rush, I did. The whole community is kind of watching to see what happens and whether or not al-Qaeda has the ability to regenerate in Afghanistan, he said. The nature of al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group, which is ISIS in its various forms, is they will always attempt to find space to grow and regenerate, whether it's there, whether it's in Somalia, or whether it's in any other ungoverned space. I think that's the nature of the organization. Wow. Now there's one report out from the Associated Press and it says that uh, Lloyd Austin, retired general, said the U.S. is prepared to stop an al-Qaeda comeback in Afghanistan that would threaten America, although he acknowledged it's going to be more difficult without troops and intelligence teams based on the ground. Let me just say this, his even saying that, it's either a stupid thing to say Or he's just trying to tiptoe up to the line of being ridiculous because there's nobody in their right minds that thinks, under the present circumstances in Afghanistan, that we have even a shred of hope of the possibility of stopping anything that happens by anybody over there. We have no longer any type of coordination by the government of Afghanistan. The old government that we had some input into is gone, abandoned, and the Taliban just zoomed in and took over. Now, this is the defense secretary. He's doing the same thing now, saying the same kind of things now that he said back when Joe Biden and Barack Obama pulled us out of Iraq the first time. He said the same kind of things. Why would we even completely pull out? We have a trillion-dollar military base that we just abandoned with a trillion dollars' worth of infrastructure where twenty to 30,000 people could live inside this complex, Bagram Airfield, fully secured. Great one, raise it's encircled not by fencing at all, but by walls. Very easy to defend against. We just walked away, and that doesn't even mention the 85 plus billion dollars of weapons that we just left to the Taliban. And it's not just going to be the Taliban. Don't you think for a second the Chinese have already come in there and bought a bunch of that advanced equipment, some of those helicopters, some of those weapons, missiles? We left all that kind of stuff for them. We abandoned Bagram. We could have left a skeleton group of Americans on that base and could have maintained some of our connections among the Afghan friendlies that worked with us and were great intelligence sources. Why, oh why, would we not do that? I can't answer that, but I can say this. Our Secretary of Defense and our President and others in the intelligence and the military were all in on that decision to pull out. If not the, one of the stupidest, is that a good word? One of the stupidest things I have ever heard anybody in government do. Seriously, I just can't believe it. So let me tell you how stupid it is. I'm going to let you listen to Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor, Antony Blinken, our secretary of state, Admiral Kirby, the spokesperson for the Pentagon. And they're going to explain about the number of Americans that are stuck in Afghanistan today, even after everybody top to bottom, all of those three, and of course our president and even the vice president from Asia actually uttered a word or two about it, a job one for us now is to make sure all Americans get out. Joe Biden said, our military's not going to leave until every American's out. He lied. Our military pulled out, and there's a bunch of Americans over there. These brain surgeons in the Pentagon, the White House, and the State Department, they can't even draw the courage to give us an approximate number of Americans that are still stuck there. So those three, Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, Admiral Kirby from the Pentagon, They weighed in yesterday and talked about the numbers of Americans that are still there.
3: And, Jake, what's your expectation? How many Americans, how many of our Afghan allies will be left behind when we finally pull out at the end of August 31st? Let me start with American citizens. Uh, We have evacuated at this point uh, nearly 5,500 American citizens from Kabul. We can never get an absolutely precise count of how many Americans were in Kabul because Americans aren't required to put themselves in a database as, as living in Afghanistan.
4: And we know this is a dangerous period. The Pentagon does say that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Kabul airport has already begun. We know more than 100,000 people have already been evacuated, a historic number, which did take an incredible amount of work. But can you get all the American citizens who want to leave and our Afghan allies who are at risk out by the Tuesday deadline, especially given this threat?
3: We're doing everything possible to, uh, to do just that. We have about 300 American citizens left uh, who have indicated to us that they want to leave. We are very actively working... Uh, to help them uh, get to the airport, uh, get on a plane, and get out of Afghanistan. talk briefly about the Americans who remain in Afghanistan. We made extraordinary efforts to give Americans every opportunity to depart the country, in many cases talking and sometimes walking them into the airport. Of those who self-identified as Americans in Afghanistan who are considering leaving the country, we've thus far received confirmation that about 6,000 have been evacuated or otherwise departed. This number will likely continue to grow as our outreach and arrivals continue. We believe there are still a small number of Americans, under 200, and likely closer to 100, who remain in Afghanistan and want to leave. We're trying to determine exactly how many. We're going through manifests and calling and texting through our lists, and we'll have more details to share as soon as possible. Do you have a sense this morning as you talk to uh, people on the ground and you talk to people across? defense department about how many americans remain in afghanistan today
1: i don't think there's an exact figure willie uh, we believe we got the vast vast majority of american citizens out something to the tune of six thousand of them uh and we think it's probably in the low hundreds uh that uh, that are still there
2: okay there you heard the brain surgeons on and on and on about well we we don't we don't have the number there's no way for us to know the number i've reported this before i'll say it again in brief you can go to the Secretary of the State Department website and or even just do a search, an Internet search, and in your search, write this or type this into your computer. The process of gaining legal access by an American to the nation of Afghanistan. And it'll give you the step-by-step of exactly what has to happen. Real quickly, what you have to do is you have to... Download and fill out a visa application from our State Department. That application requires all kinds of stuff about you. Name, address, telephone number, social security number, email address, all of those things. Then you have to tell them where you're going to go to and why in Afghanistan, if you're going to be staying there, moving there or whatever, even an address and local telephone number when you get over there. If they approve that, they will then notify you that it's approved by the State Department. They send it to the Afghani consulate or embassy, and their State Department then has to go through the process of approving it. So think about what we're dealing with now about where these Americans are over there. It's on their visa application. Our government, our government, Requires to know where everybody is going when they get there. And you have to provide in your initial visa application a copy of your round trip airline ticket. Or if you're not coming back, the ticket going over there and certain confirmation of where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. So, all of this continual nonsense we're hearing, we have no way of knowing where everybody is because they're not required to tell us that's BS, folks. They know exactly how many Americans are there. So what's this all about? I don't know. And then, of course, we couldn't do this without letting the brain surgeon of the White House Press Corps tell us and confirm what we know about these Americans. Jensaki.
4: Uh, I would say that this is now on track, Peter, to be the largest airlift in U.S. history. Uh, So, And that is uh, bringing American citizens out. It is bringing our Afghan partners out. It is bringing allies out. Uh, So, no, I would not say that is anything but a success.
2: Anything but a success. Removing 100 plus, 200 plus, we don't even know the exact number. 200,000, let's say, round number. 90, 95 percent assumed that to be an accurate number of how many of those are not Americans but are Afghanistanis and then we don't know they haven't given us a number we do know that approximately it was estimated 500 of the ones that we got out and went to interim locations before coming here and other final destinations 500 of them turned up on terrorist watch lists Think about that for a second. We left Americans behind, American citizens. We had access to message, call, reach out to all those American citizens that were in Afghanistan. And they want to deal around the corner, almost said a four-letter word, Uh, about our Americans, but they're gladly opening the doors of those jets, those military jets and the private jets that you and I are paying for to put Afghanis on there. We have no idea who most of them are. They tell us SVI visa holders. We find out that the first 2,000 that went to Wisconsin to that military base that we were told every one of them was one of those SVI visa holders. Not one of the 2,000 were. Those are the people that helped us. They worked with us while we were there. Those 2,000 people, they weren't numbered among those people that worked with us while they were there. And then we find out that on that base, we haven't vetted those people. We don't even know who they are. They can give us assumed names. There's no database in Afghanistan for our State Department to go to to get a background check on anybody. It's the same way at almost every terrorist country on the planet. And they use that to their advantage. And we're so stupid, we just believe somebody's honest because they told us they're honest. They raised their right hand and swore an oath or whatever it is. They just basically got in line and got on a jet. So do you know how many people, Americans, are stuck in Afghanistan? Do you have any idea? I don't know either, folks, but let me tell you what we do know. We do know that private groups and individuals funded and paid for multiple chartered commercial jets that have been sitting in adjacent countries with loads of Americans and some of the legitimate SVI visa holders On those jets waiting to get relief, a release to leave those countries to either fly to the US or to go to other countries as an interim embarkment place. Maybe even Germany, our big airbase that's there. And our State Department refuses to give them clearance to bring those people to the United States or even to take them to these other countries on an interim trip to the United States. And you know the excuse Antony Blinken's Secretary of State, his State Department are giving for not letting these people leave is because we don't know who's on those jets. We haven't vetted them. When they were saying, when they were pushing all these people climbing over the wall uh, at Kabul Airport getting on our jets just to get here and somebody said we don't know who these people are they haven't been vetted and their excuse was oh we're going to vet them when we get them here or when they stop in Qatar open the door for people that are Foreigners, we have no information about, but slam the door on your fellow American citizens, not even giving them a real shot, the same shot as you give these Afghanis. Don't give Americans a better deal. Give them the same deal. They didn't even do it. One congressman that's over there, he's got 500, 500 people. With the jet sitting on the tarmac and they won't give us the country because they don't want to get they don't want to get attacked. Sitting there waiting for our State Department to give them clearance to fly. The insanity in all of this, it just keeps heightening. It's at a fever pitch, and every day you think it can't get worse. And it does. We even have more Afghanistan news. Back with that in a moment.
4: The world tells you to wait, that waiting is polite, and good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them in work, in love, in life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power, because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it.
3: Today on hey culligan softer equals better here's a tweet from Ed itchy in idaho hey culligan my laundry is so scratchy i just cut myself on a cable knit sweater any suggestions hashtag send help hey at itchy in idaho yes the culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. itchy hashtag soft laundry hashtag already on the way Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months of participating Culligan dealers. If you
0: think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do cheap. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The view from the top is reserved for the bold. And the bold tell the truth. Truthnewsnet.org
2: More news, more information about the craziness that's not over in Afghanistan. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think we'll be dealing with stuff and people in Afghanistan for many years to come. Do you realize the Taliban has put the basic structure of their new government, they took over the nation, it uh, is now in the hands of the Taliban, they put together their senior staff members in the government and four of the senior leaders of the Taliban now in charge in Afghanistan, a nation in which we've spent trillions of dollars four of the leaders we had in prison at Gitmo. One of them has a $10 million bounty on his head, and the bounty's by our FBI. He's wanted and has a $10 million bounty on his head. Now guess who he is. His last name is Haqqani. He is one of, if not the biggest terrorist on planet Earth after Osama bin Laden was eliminated. And guess who he is? He is over all of the security of the Afghan government, the Taliban. Now, what does that mean? He has to approve anything and everything. And so he is the guy... This is part of the insanity of this administration hours. He's the guy our state department has to negotiate with for anything to do with the Americans that are still there. You're negotiating with not only a terrorist, but a terrorist who our FBI has been trying to find and get back after the Barack Obama, Joe Biden administration released him from Gitmo in Cuba. Now, why would they release him? They cut a deal for the return of Bo Bergdahl, an American GI who went missing. And they held him. They captured him. The Taliban did. And they held him as a hostage and in return they gave us back Bo Bergdahl. We gave up these four Taliban leaders who are all now at the head of the terrorist government of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And We're having to negotiate with one of those guys, (laughs) Haqqani, who's over all the security stuff in Afghanistan, the entire nation. You can't make this up, folks. It's insane. And then to make matters worse, you know, they've got Americans. We're looking. I can tell you this. We are looking at an almost certain hostage situation. Don't know how many Americans it will include. But there are a bunch over there that can still be part of it. About those flight issues, yesterday Jen Psaki at the White House was asked. And um, the press, as you can imagine, they keep pushing for answers about how our State Department is handling stopping flights from taking off that have Americans aboard. Here's what Psaki said. We don't have a role in preventing flights from taking off. We're not on the ground, so that is not something that the U.S. government is doing. At the same time, some of these planes and some of the issues include where are they going to land. She noted that a number of these planes seeking to leave Afghanistan may have, quote, a handful of Americans, but they may have several hundred individuals who do not have proper documentation of identity. She said they may have several hundred individuals where we don't have manifest for them. We don't know what the security protocols are for them. We don't know what their documentation is. She's describing the situation as one of the hard choices you face in government. Are we going to allow a plane with hundreds of people where we don't know who they are? We don't know what security protocols have been put in place to land on the U.S. military base. We're not going to do that. Is that the most hypocritical thing I've heard anybody, uh, any American say it, any American in government say about this whole debacle? Folks, we did exactly that when we allowed 200,000 people, most of we had no clue who they were. They had no documentation. And many of them are already here in the United States, unvetted. Yeah, there were some interim, interim flights, went to places like Doha and Qatar, and we found when they got there, the Qatar government helped us do some background investigations, and we found some and were able to stop them from moving on to permanent points of uh, of uh, where they were going to go. Some of those were coming to the United States. Thankfully, they're not here, but how many more slipped through the cracks? She's now saying that's what, what we did with no kind of precautions to speak of we can't do that again for these american citizens even though we know these planes have american citizens on them because we don't know there there are some good people on there but there may be some other people that we don't know so we can't let them and she's right we're not over there we're not on the ground anymore she was intimating that we have no say so in one of these planes flying leaving That's not true. You can't get clearance to leave, especially internationally, unless the place where you're going gives approval. We can tell whoever in the country where these planes are parked. Some may be in rural Afghanistan. I don't think so. Uh, Adjacent countries is more likely. But we can reach out to them and tell them, hey, we're going to accept this plane full of people. Just like we have all these other planes full of people, we didn't know who were on them. And meanwhile, it comes out that the Taliban are blocking uh, 143 American citizens from leaving Afghanistan, fomenting a hostage crisis. This isn't about what the number we're getting from our experts in the administration. Maybe 200, but I think it's probably closer to 100 the Taliban tell us a number, 143 in one case, 143 American citizens are being blocked by the Taliban. Haqqani, the security guy, the one we let out of prison, (laughs) U.S. lawmakers and veterans trying to assist in the evacuation of these 143. And even on top of that, many Afghan allies are getting increasingly frustrated with the lack of action by this administration. Though the State Department Secretary Antony Blinken admits the Taliban are blocking Americans from getting out of the country, the Biden administration is also insisting the Taliban's efforts to block flights from leaving the country is not a hostage crisis that the militant group controlling Afghanistan They just want the proper documents from those seeking to leave. (laughs) So, the Taliban is doing a better job about needing documentation from flyers than we do. (laughs) I have never in my lifetime seen anything this insane being perpetrated by any government, especially our own. And then Senator Tom Cotton. He weighed in yesterday, and uh, it seems like—now, this is a senator, U.S. senator. He has some insights, information that you and I don't have access to. And the information he got says that Biden is seeking to execute a plan that would give out unlimited numbers of green cards to Afghans who haven't been vetted. The request asked Congress— from the Biden State Department, ask Congress to allow Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, oh my gosh, Alejandro Mayorkas, he is the guy. He is Mr. America. No, he's not. He's Mr. Throw the doors open and let anybody from any country, doesn't matter what country, where they're from, We don't have to vet them before they get here. Just let them come. The Biden State Department wants Congress to allow Alejandro Mayorkas to give out green cards and eventually naturalized American citizenship to at least 50,000 Afghans by waiving The vetting procedures that have been put in place by Congress are law. Senator Cotton went crazy. He slammed the request as just another chapter in Biden's rolling fiasco of an Afghanistan policy. The senator's office said the Biden plan would allow any Afghans who come to the U.S. over at least the next year to get green cards, backdated to the day they entered the country, without completing the normal refugee screening or approval process while also not counting the Afghans against annual refugee caps. In other words, just turn the spigot on and let anybody and however many want to come in, let them come. The only screening required under this proposal is whatever screening Mayorkas deems is sufficient. Again, You want to let the guy who believes totally in open borders and wants us to just let anybody come, you want to let him to determine how many is appropriate. This week, Biden requested for Congress to give at least $6.4 billion in more tax money to provide assistance and resettlement support to about 100,000 Afghans that he hopes to bring to the U.S. over the next year. Just another example of the insanity of this administration. And it's not just about Afghanistan. We're going to leave this conversation with one last thing. Only 39% of Americans polled by the Economist YouGov poll yesterday, only 39% approve of his job performance, 49% disapprove. That's a drop of six points by the same poll in just one week. Overall, folks, Biden's horrible approval rating, it comes primarily due to Democrats, not Republicans. Republicans, other conservatives, they were already off the Biden boat. The Democrats now are jumping ship. And they're doing so because of inflation, Afghanistan, coronavirus, lockdowns, mandates. Nearly 9 out of 10 Democrats had approved previously for Biden for about half of his first year. But Democrats have since dropped support by 9% in one week. 77% from 86% in one week. And he's not just suffering from Democrat low approval. Only 39% of independents prove of what he's doing. 9% of Republicans feel the same way. And with specific issues in the polling, a greater portion of Americans disapprove of his handing of coronavirus for the first time. 45% disapprove. 42% approve. On jobs in the economy, 40% approve. 47% disapprove. Only 16% of American adults now think the economy is improving nearly three times as many, 44%. I mean, it's just bad. You can't paint it any other way than it's just bad. And it's not just bad. It's getting badder. Is that a word? No, it's not. It's getting worse every day. And folks, it's not because things, the actual events and occurrences are getting worse every day necessarily. It's just that every day more Americans are opening their eyes and seeing the truth of what's been going on since even before he took office January 20th of this year. It all began to unwind immediately after the election, November 3rd last year, when people realized this guy's going to be president and he's going to take us back to the age of big, 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 big government, the age of a president, one man having a phone and having a pen and beginning and implementing an autocratic style of government where a very small group of people take over our government and make every decision for all 330-plus million Americans, skipping Congress, skipping the representatives that are elected by the people, and just letting a few people make those decisions for us. One of the other things very few people are talking about, businesses across the country are having a horrible time getting workers, escalating prices for some goods, widespread unavailability of key inputs and an economy that downshifted in July and August and it's getting worse and worse and worse. The I-word is in play on a major basis now, inflation. Inflation, it was reported to be steady, and it was moving at an elevated pace, but it was steady, as half of the districts characterized the pace of price increases as strong in the Federal Reserve districts around the nation, while half described it as moderate. Now, what does that mean? Well, with resource shortages, in other words, equipment, input price pressures continued to be widespread, even at greatly increased prices. Many businesses reported having trouble sourcing key inputs. Some districts reported that businesses are finding it easier to pass along more cost increases through higher prices. That's called inflation. Let me give you an example. I've got a close friend. We have coffee almost every morning, at least five days a week, just a short 40, 45-minute period or early, early in the morning. And uh, he operates a local, regional um, company uh, that has outlets all across principally the southeast and the Gulf South. But they're in the uh, construction business, and what they do is they are granite and stone providers. Now, they typically don't sell directly to the consumers, but they sell to companies like when you go, you're going to build a house or remodel your house and you want to change your, your countertops, you want to change your bathroom fixtures, all those kinds of things and you need granite or marble or whatever else. Um, the people that are actually doing the remodeling or building your house will maybe take you to this company's showroom to pick out the stone that you want to put in your house a really neat thing. Well, where does this stone come from? Most of it comes from two places, Italy and South America. A lot of stone, a lot of pretty stuff down there, and it's mined, and so it comes out of those mines, and what do they have to do? Well, they have to get it to the United States. How do you get that to the United States on ships? So what's happened in the Biden administration that has made this thing just really get crazy? Same thing regarding lumber. Availability And other supplies, building supplies, tools. Same problem that hampers you from being able to get a fully loaded car. You want a new car? The ones that have all the modern, newfangled things, electronics and all that kind of stuff, they'll almost drive the car for you. You don't have to do anything. All of those things require computer chips. Where are the computer chips manufactured? China and other places in Southeast Asia. We got to get them here. How do we get them here? Ships. So here's what happened. Let me give you an example. Just one state, California. Los Angeles, Long Beach, two of the biggest shipping ports in the world. And everything coming from Asia, Southeast Asia, that's the obvious place for them to come. We do a lockdown. Biden does a lockdown, a coronavirus lockdown. People can't go to work. Businesses are closed. That means all the people in Los Angeles Harbor and Long Beach that operate the loading, unloading of all these ships, the truckers who then pick up these containers from the ports and they drive them all across America, the truckers can't work. And so there's a blockade. And it's not just in Los Angeles and Long Beach and Houston and New Orleans and then seaports on the East Coast. It's all around the world. So some of these ships get out of their ports of origin, Southeast Asia, South America, Italy, other places in the Mediterranean. And they come across the ocean and they're ready to unload their stuff at these seaports. But other ships have been waiting for days and weeks and months. They've been actually anchored out at sea, waiting for clearance to come unload their stuff. And so there's a waiting list, sometimes weeks long. And so everything from top to bottom is backed up. So what happens? The people here, now that we are able to work and get out, construction starts over again, new construction remodeling, All those kinds of things start. What about all of the materials and the supplies? What about the chips for the cars that Detroit can't make these new cars? The assembly lines have been sitting. No new vehicles in car lots. It's a top-to-bottom problem that everybody has. I mean everybody. So what happens in the interim? Supply and demand prices for stuff that these companies of all kinds have, they've got to charge more for them. Why do they have to charge more? Well, they've only got what they had before this lockdown all started. That's all they have on the shelves. When that's gone, they can't replace them. And when they replace them, they're having to pay more because the shipping costs are much higher. These ships that have been sitting out In the Gulf of Mexico, in the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, waiting to get clearance to come unload their products. The trucking companies that have trucks that can't be used, they're just sitting out there. The company's expenses continue to happen. It's a top-to-bottom problem, folks, and it's driving inflation through the roof. The Biden administration is hiding from us all exactly how serious, how deep it is, what we can expect in the way of timing for it to stop. My good friend, the one that I have coffee with, his company can't get any stone. They can't get any stone. And to make matters worse, the headquarters of the company is in New Orleans. Hurricane Ida shut it down, electrical shortages. They're still closed. So all of the stone that they had in their facility in new orleans that they would every day normally put on trucks to transport around the nation to offices that they own in different cities they can't do it so the people that work for them at these different cities they have nothing to sell this is a problem that didn't have to happen it's a self-made problem by stupid decisions, stupid choices made by this president and those in an administration. It's COVID. It's COVID. It's COVID. Then it's Afghanistan. Then it's other pieces of our economy, and they're raising taxes. It's the perfect storm, folks. The perfect storm. And the guy who's driving the boat, Joe Biden, doesn't Have a clue.
0: Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news. TNN, the
3: Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky.
0: I couldn't do that.
3: I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it.
1: Here she
5: comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin.
1: What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. snuggle I am so
5: out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky.
0: There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equip.
1: Hello.
6: Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh yeah, uh, the instructions say the that what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride, never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts.
3: Go to get some for more Snickers Man coaching.
2: During the break, got a um, a news bulletin, a source familiar with the White House's plans said minutes ago that Joe Biden is going to sign an executive order today. There you go. Got a cell phone, got a pen. We're going to govern the nation without the People's House and the U.S. Senate. We're going to do it from the White House. And guess what this executive order is going to be? It's a mandate. Every Federal employee, every federal employee. Now, who does that mean? Who does that entail? There are millions of federal employees. They get their checks from the federal government. That includes everybody in the military. This executive order is going to mandate that every federal employee is vaccinated. And it doesn't stop there. Every vendor for the federal government. Everybody that sells anything or does any work of any kind anywhere for the federal government has to be vaccinated. Think that through, folks. Think that through. If this is actually implemented and it stands, our United States and everything in it from top to bottom is going to go into a mass, crazy environment that nobody's going to know how to function within. The executive order, this bulletin said, builds on Biden's announcement in July to strengthen safety requirements for unvaccinated federal workers. The order will, quote, take those actions a step further and require all federal executive branch workers to be vaccinated. Did you know right now today, there is no vaccine mandate for anybody that works in the White House? Did you know that? Now, why would that be the case when they have been preaching that everybody's supposed to get one and that it's okay for employers to require vaccinations among their employees and they don't even have a mask mandate Uh, excuse me, of a VAX mandate in the White House. The mandate extends also to employees of contractors that do business with the federal government. Under this new order, the Department of Defense, the Department of Veteran Affairs, the Indian Health Service, the National Institute of Health are expected to complete the implementation of their previously announced vaccination requirements that cover two and a half Million people. The Veterans Affair in July became the first agency in the government to announce it's going to require patient-facing employees to be vaccinated against COVID. And despite concern over vaccine mandates, the Department of Justice Legal Counsel has determined over the summer that federal law does not prohibit public agencies and private businesses from requiring COVID-19 vaccines that are under Emergency Use Authorization, EUAs. There you go, folks. Big, big, and now bigger government with control, more control, and now mass control of things that heretofore we thought belonged to us constitutionally as Americans. Go figure. Who would think that? would be the case. Well, well, well. Do we need to go on? Do we need to move somewhere else? we got to make it happen, folks. We've got to deal with what's on our plate as we see it today and not worry about what it's going to look like tomorrow and down the road. If you're a Christian, your promise is whatever you need for today, you've got it. God's on the hook for that. But there's no promise of even having a tomorrow. We don't know. Uh, early this morning, I uh, I went online and started scamming, uh, scanning every once in a while. Um, I'll look back to the obituaries in our region because being here so many years, we know a lot of people in different different types of lives, doing different things, owning and working in different ways, things and people... We just interface with occasionally one of my best friends. I didn't even know he passed away a couple of weeks ago. We just never know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. We have no promise of tomorrow, but we do have a promise for today, which means live today to the fullest, whatever that looks like to you. That's what we've all got to do, and not just continuously Worry on fret over things that we have no control. You can do it. In the break, James Posey, one of our listeners, good friend, we were talking about uh, all of the things that we can't get as a nation now to keep, keep the wheels turning 24-7 like they always have. And he made a point that's a really good point. Um, the cartels... The drug lords and then here in the United States, the uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, syndicates, whoever is doing illegal drug distribution nationwide, they don't have any problem getting as much fentanyl as they need to sell cocaine, crack, you name it. They can get that. Their business is thriving (laughs) and our government's not stopping any of that, but boy, we're going to stop. COVID-19 dead in its tracks, aren't we? We're going to vaccinate everybody. You won't be able to buy a lollipop without being vaccinated. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Political, political, political running amok. And in the midst of all of this, yeah, we have elections all the time. We've got one coming up next week out in California, a recall election For Governor Gavin Newsom. Well, there's a lot of conflict going on out there about this election. And it's turned into race conflict. Go figure. United States, we're going to have racial conflict? It's in everything, folks. And former President Barack Obama has weighed in. He's appearing in a new ad for incumbent Governor Gavin Newsom, who's a Democrat, and um, Obama's ad targets Larry Elder, who is the leading opponent opposing Gavin Newsom in California's election. Larry Elder happens to be a conservative. He's a talk show host, and he also happens to be African American. If he would be elected, he would be the first black governor if the recall election succeeds on the 14th. Now, in the ad, Obama doesn't mention Elder by name, and probably because he's black. But it shows a picture of Elder, together with former President Donald Trump. And Obama accuses Republicans of trying to, quote, overturn common-sense COVID safety measures for healthcare workers and school staff. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know what it means. Gavin Newsom is the guy that he totally locked down his state, put thousands of people permanently out of work and businesses, hundreds, closed, shuttered, never to return, doing the same thing in schools. Obama calls those common-sense COVID safety measures. Wow, Obama recently held a massive 60th birthday party for celebrities and political elites. Remember that? At his house up in Martha's Vineyard off the Massachusetts coast. And uh, he was filmed dancing without wearing a mask. You know, one of those common sense COVID things. And over 100 of those people later came down positive for COVID. That leaked out. They didn't put it out in a press release. You can bet that. Democrats are running against... Larry Elder in California on an exclusively negative message targeting him with assistance from uh, the establishment media, notably the Los Angeles Times, which has conducted a racist campaign against Larry Elder. Newsom campaigned earlier this week, folks, with a leader of Black Lives Matter who declared in the governor's presence that Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy, a charge made infamous by the Los Angeles Times. Newsom didn't correct her either, nor has he criticized an attack on Elder by an egg-throwing white woman in Los Angeles yesterday, and she was wearing a gorilla mask as she assaulted Larry Elder, and you can check out a video online where she's throwing eggs at him. So it's a white woman Wearing a gorilla mask. No racism there, huh? (laughs) Throwing eggs at a black Republican. So obviously one would infer that she is a Democrat and she is a heavy in-the-tank voter for Gavin Newsom. You could also, from her actions, throwing eggs at a black man, wearing a gorilla mask, which is making fun, a racial slam, against an African-American man and the governor doesn't come out or say anything about her doing so. That in itself, folks, is racist. And Gavin Newsom, first of all, appearing with a member, a leader, of Black Lives Matter, who while they're together, calls Larry Elder the face, the black face of white supremacy. And Newsom doesn't say anything. Let's just put it all together and, tell, and just say this. Here's the consensus I've come up with for this entire thing. Gavin Newsom is a closet racist, probably a white supremacist, based upon who he is associating with and who he's saying, say the things without any pushback and doing things without any pushback. People that are attacking a black man running for office in California And Gavin Newsom is just basically saying, hey, it's okay. Now, put that in the context of what we've been living in the last decade or two or three. A white man, a white governor of the biggest populated state we have, California, he is attacking a black man simply because of the black man's color. No, that's not simply because of only that. That's part of it but it's because he's a conservative. And because he's a conservative, being black is not a good thing. He's just like those evil white supremacists. It's politics, folks. And I understand why Thomas Jefferson said if he had to be a member of a political party to go to heaven, he would just have to bypass on going to heaven. (laughs) Even back then, folks, political partisanship was running amok. People were being divided, left and right, no kind of consensus. It was all based upon party affiliation, skin color, place of origin, religion, right down the list. And it's the same thing today. So what's our president doing when he does get out of the White House? He doesn't put the lid on his day at 10 in the morning. Well, he's, he, he does go out and make a few speeches and he did just that. He went out and spoke to some union leaders. Listen to your president speaking to this. Um, I guess it was a convention, a group together, but a bunch of leaders, a bunch of union leaders. And
6: every day we remember that America wasn't built by Wall Street. They're not all bad folks on Wall Street. I'm not suggesting that. But they didn't build America. It was built by the middle class. And unions built the middle class. (laughs) Victories for all of us. Because I might add, you know, I notice... When you all do that, everybody benefits, whether they belong to a union or not. Whether they belong to a union or not. Everybody's mad at me because now, guess what? Employers are competing to attract workers. Having to raise pay. It is a tax cut for ordinary folks. That's what it is.
2: There is so much hypocrisy in what he just stated there and so much disinformation. But, of course, he's speaking to people, every one of these union management people, the leaders in these unions, you know how they work, why they do what they do? Of course, unions were created back in the early parts of the last century where American workers were literally I mean, every day being put in the most egregious of working conditions, working in many cases for slave labor wages, long hours, no benefits. It was really necessary that unions be formed at the time to take care of those people. But as American society changed and got more civil, businesses began to realize the resources that they needed to create the products, the goods and services that they were selling and the services they were giving relied on people. They had to take care of those people. And so leaders in business began to self-take advantage and self-discipline themselves in their countries to take care of their workers. So all of a sudden at some point in the 20th century, labor union leaders began to say, you know what? We're getting close to where they don't need us anymore. So what do we have to do? We have to create an, an atmosphere, an environment in which we can say, hey, look, we're doing this for you. You've got you've to pay higher dues. We're going out there and fighting the wars for you. We're getting better pay, better working conditions we're getting you more money we're going after these evil corporations that are taking advantage of workers and they sold that over and over and over again and then it even morphed a little bit more into politics they began to tell all of these workers hey look this is unfair and the only way we can get it changed is going to the lawmakers and enticing them to change the laws regarding everything to do with labor to the workers benefits but to do that you've got to pay us more we've got to go hire lobbyists we've got to do campaign contributions all of this at the expense of those workers that i got to i got to admit folks you do too that members of labor unions in most cases are really doing well, doing a lot better than the average American. I don't know a single labor union worker today in America that makes less than $20 an hour doing the same thing that somebody would do for $15 an hour. What's that $5 interim there? What's that for? It's to fund labor unions. Joe Biden, when he campaigns for office, back when every time he ran for re-election in the Senate, then as running on the Barack Obama ticket as vice president both times, they've got to go get campaign money. Their campaigns, collectively, Obama and Biden, and then Biden alone, draw tens of millions of dollars from campaign donations from unions at every level. Like Rush Limbaugh. He always said in politics, anybody that offers you a dime in your campaign when you run for office, they always at some point will expect quid pro quo. Hey, Joe, you remember when I, I gave you this $10,000 or $100,000 donation in your campaign? I need to have a conversation with you about something. The politician is always obligated at least to have a conversation, but typically those conversations aren't just about an issue, a legislative issue. Oh, it'll be about the legislative issue, but there's always a little something else on the side. Joe is in the pockets still in the pockets of union leaders. And you heard what he said there. How do you make a legitimization of a labor union and what they do? Remember, he's not talking to a bunch of workers when you heard that that was a bunch of labor union leaders. They think they are the ones that run the world, not the workers they represent but the labor unions themselves and there were a bunch of them sitting there i can guarantee this that looked up there were watching joe and listening to joe and in the back of their minds they thought this yeah looky there we've got the president of the united states in our pocket whatever we need whoever we need to stop you know our competition we've got him And he's proven, just like he said he's going to this week. He's going to bypass Congress, pull out a pen, sign an executive order. He can do it by himself, and we've got him in our pockets.
6: It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the bathroom
3: close encounters of the
6: third bathroom a river runs through the
3: bathroom for someone suffering with sucrose intolerance a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom if you're experiencing chronic diarrhea gas stomach pain and bloating remember sucrose intolerance or csid can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test visit sucroseintolerance.com. what is coca-cola
5: is it an excuse to get together Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola, drink up.
0: Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's,
6: the new home of craftsmen.
5: Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with SunMade snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yep, still delicious. And so are SunMade's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and SunMade's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. SunMade snacks
0: separating fact from fiction, arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The Truth on TNN, truthnewsnet.org.
2: In the aftermath of that previous segment where we talked about labor unions and their power, not because of labor unions, but just in that same mindset, the California Senate yesterday passed a landmark bill that if it's signed into law, the bill, listen to this, would require warehouses to disclose productivity quotas and ban any such targets that endanger the health and safety of workers. That sounds like something that is already already handled. Um, we have a, a department of the Labor Department at the U.S. level that's all into working conditions and making sure that corporations of every kind. No matter what it is, the working conditions are very, very specific about what has to be done and what cannot be done regarding the environment in which these workers work and the requirements that are put in place by these companies for these workers. This is the first-of-its-kind legislation. I've never seen this before. It's known as AB 701. It passed in the Senate in California 26 to 11, if it's signed into law, listen to what it's going to do. Warehouse distribution centers like Amazon, um, Sam's Warehouse would be required to provide workers with quotas and the quotas have to detail the tasks that need to be completed within a certain time frame. It will place limits on production quotas that would prevent warehouse workers from using the bathroom when needed or from taking breaks that they're entitled to. The bill also offers new protection for workers who raise concerns about those quotas being unreasonable. Can you imagine working in an environment, if you're a business owner, working in that environment where They're going to force you, they being the government, is going to force you, even if you don't do it now, but put quotas on workers' production, what they have to do in a specific period of time. Now, of course, this law doesn't get into what happens. Who sets the quota numbers? Who sets that? I can tell you who's going to set that. The labor unions. We just talked about the unions before this one. So the government comes in and says, you have to make your quotas realistic. You have to disclose them in advance. Uh, You can't do anything regarding breaks for employees like bathroom breaks and others that they're entitled to. They don't talk about who entitled them and what they are entitled to. Folks, in my state, Louisiana, there are labor laws that, make those requirements specific regarding breaks, employee breaks and stuff like that. I can't imagine they don't only have that in California, but here's a scenario that I can see happening right off the top of my head. If this is signed into law, these quotas are going to be argued about and it'll, it'll go through union arbitration and all those kinds of things. What the employees are going to want is for quotas to be reduced to a lower number, but they're not going to be willing to allow their pay to be dropped. If these companies are structured such that their current compensation for all employees are based on specific numbers of products being produced or services being provided during a specific time, which you know. A good corporation is doing their business that way. That's the way you can make sure you can pay people and pay all your bills. And by the way, pay a little profits to your taxpayers and your owners. And so the corporations are going to want the quotas to be a little bit higher. But what this will do, it will allow the unions to come in on behalf of their union members and negotiate those quota amounts to be reduced. Therefore, reducing production, which will reduce income, gross income, while the expenses stay the same or go up. And what that means is there will only be two ways for the production to go up. They'll have to fight the production quotas that the union's going to come in. They'll threaten strikes and all that kind of stuff, just like they always do, to get their way, if they get their way, The production's going to go down. The costs are going to stay the same. But what's this company going to have to do to stay afloat? They're going to have to increase production, but the only way they can do it, they can't do it by forcing people to do more. Maybe just doing more is the same thing that they formally did before this law was passed. They're going to have to go hire more people. More people to create the same number of products and goods that they were producing before. And the labor union workers that were there originally that agreed to work for under whatever conditions they find themselves working in, they already agreed to it, they're going to be working less, getting paid the same. And they're going to be looking at all these new workers coming in. They're going to get mad about that. They're coming to try to take our job. They're trying to cut us back. Politicians do not need to get in the business world. It's a huge mistake politics at a certain level that has been implemented from the federal government on down for decades takes care of workers. And anytime there are any issues that come from work policies, business policies, they always go before the uh, appropriate committees. And if there needs to be legal action taken, they're always taken in federal courts. Yet California thinks the workers aren't getting their fair shake and they need to intervene and make sure to level the playing field. Who's going to pay the price? You are. Taxpayers. Anything, any product, any service that's going to be produced in these manufacturing facilities or warehouse facilities in California, they're going to cost you more. They're going to cost the companies, like Amazon, getting stuff produced. They're going to cost Amazon more. What's Amazon going to do? They're not going to eat a dime of it. They're going to pass it along to you. That means you're going to have less in your pocket to do the same things that you've been doing and buying and purchasing. You're going to have less money, and you're going to have to do more with it. Meanwhile, our legislators in Washington, they're at it, folks, 24-7 working their butts off for us. Like yesterday, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York. I shouldn't have used the word butts in a story about her because she's got a cute one. I thought I'd throw that in. I'm sure my wife is listening, and I'll get in trouble for saying that. But anyway, yesterday, AOC asserted that more than just women can menstruate. You heard that right. She said in the House of Representatives in a committee hearing. More than just women can menstruate, defending her use of the term menstruating people. Not just women, she said. Trans men and non-binary people can also menstruate. She's defending her use of the term. Some women also don't menstruate for many reasons, including surviving cancer that required a hysterectomy. GOP mad at this or protecting the patriarchal idea that women are most valuable as uterus holders. And she continued to tell people to grow up because trans, two-spirit, non-binary people have always existed and will always exist. I never thought I'd hear anything like that come out of anybody's mouth, yet alone a member of the House of Representatives. But she's far from the only high-profile figure purportedly devoted to science. The word science in quotation marks, obviously. And she's promoting it to use broad terms to refer to female-only functions, such as menstruating or becoming pregnant. The CDC, for example. They gave an update for COVID vaccinations for pregnant women on August 11th, although the Federal Health Agency repeatedly used the phrase pregnant people, despite the fact that there are only two biological sexes. And in case you didn't know it, I'm going to whisper this like Joe, only females can become pregnant with a child. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, she's also used the phrase, quote, for pregnant people who are at a higher risk of severe illness from COVID, we are strengthening our guidance and recommending that all pregnant people or people thinking about becoming pregnant get vaccinated, she said during a press briefing a few weeks ago. The Biden administration, too, they welcome the broad terms, replacing the word mothers with birthing people they put that in a budget proposal they put out there over the summer i just can't i just can't get through this folks i can't see it if it quacks and waddles it's a duck if it's a woman it can have a baby and i just said woman and i used an after defining pronoun of woman as it i'm trying to be realistic. I'm trying to be scientific and politically correct at the same time. It's a full-time job. Oh my gosh. AOC, does she have nothing of serious nature to deal with? Is this something that comes out of her part of Manhattan? I mean, the the district she represents is a cross between Brooklyn. There's some from Brooklyn and some from Queens. And I think a section of the Bronx, and I know those people in that part of New York don't literally en masse share these thoughts and ideas. They're busy trying to make a life for themselves rather than to worry about pronouns (laughs) and nouns when talking about and addressing a person. I mean, we're literally in an environment where before long, we're going to be expected to not ever say he or she or them. It's always going to be person. Everything's going to be person. You won't be able to say sister or brother or mother or father or somebody's going to be looking down their noses at you. And ultimately, the thought and the speech cops are going to be out there. They'll be finding people that talk about someone menstruating. Because you can't say it's, she's menstruating. It's a menstruating (sighs) person. There's nothing else to think about or worry about than that. We're talking about labor unions a few moments ago. Well, labor unions have gotten in the way of education one more time. The CDC issued tighter mask guidance for this school year we're now in, after one prominent teachers' union pressured them to include more rigorous mask recommendations in school buildings. That's according to some newly obtained emails. Yep. Now, we're talking about the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a supposed nonpartisan entity where all of these scientists gather and they put together all of these scientific facts that they roll out to us. Well, based on that, folks, and based on what we're told all the time about the CDC and the Biden administration, they should be telling the teachers' unions what the correct mask guidance for students should be. It is not to be or should not be the teachers' union having any say so at all about anything to do with health care of kids. Am I wrong? I mean, teachers' unions. I don't think there are any requirements for the leaders in the teachers' unions or any of the members to uh, to go out and get an M.D. Um, to go to nursing school. They're not doctors, medical doctors. They're politicians. But yet, our government, the Biden administration's CDC, is taking guidance on mask-wearing for students from the teachers' unions. The emails were obtained through a FOIA request, and it's about the National Education Association, the NEA, and some White House staffers. The emails went back and forth between the NEA and White House. Now, the NEA is the largest teachers' union in the U.S. They advocate for education professionals that include school teachers, support personnel, faculty members at colleges and universities. Emails include a draft statement from the NEA to the White House in which the teachers' union criticizes the CDC over its current masking guidance after it announced in May that vaccinated people could stop wearing masks indoors and outside. Email said, We appreciate the developing nature of the science and its implications for guidance, but releasing the guidance without accompanying school-related updates creates confusion and fuels the internal politicization of this basic health and safety issue. CDC has consistently said and studies support The mitigation measures, including to protect the most vulnerable, remain necessary in schools and institutions of higher education, particularly because no elementary or middle school students and a few high school students have been vaccinated. This will also make it hard for school boards and leaders of institutions of higher education to do the right thing by maintaining mitigation measures. We need CDC clarification right away. The union said they're prepared to issue the critical statement and call for the CDC to issue new guidance providing greater clarity over masks in schools and release more rigorous mask recommendations. One day after the CDC's guidance went live, Erica Dinkle-Smith, the White House Director of Labor Engagement, said she stopped the NEA from releasing that critical statement. Hmm. So they had a discussion, and then they decided to coordinate with the White House. After that, the NEA eventually released a much more relaxed statement. And here in part is what it says. CDC's current recommendation that schools continue to implement existing school-related guidance, including the mandatory and correct use of wearing masks and continuing of social distancing, is an important and welcome clarification about the protections that need to be in place in our schools. Now, now tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I don't understand something. But should the CDC even be integrating in whatever way regarding policy, medical policy, stuff that the CDC has, as we know now, virtual unilateral control of, in our government. That is the seed of everything to do with medicine. All policies. Should they even be talking, communicating back and forth with the labor union? In a real world, this doesn't happen. In a Democrat-controlled administration, it happens. And folks, let me just leave this story by mentioning this one thing. If this is happening, this one isolated instance... You can bet your bippy, it's not isolated. You can bet the CDC is taking all kinds of input from social organizations from top to bottom in the United States regarding from every field of business, of social work. Obviously, here's an example of education. We can go through all kinds of business sectors that those folks are probably talking to the CDC as well. What's that science thing? I thought we were supposed to follow the science. No, what they're saying, folks. In reality, what the CDC is saying. You've got to follow what we say. And what we say, we're not going to tell you this, But what we say in part probably is going to come with some guidance from some heavyweight labor unions. Those are the ones that uh, they pay millions of dollars to our candidates running for, by the way, re-election and election in the midterms that are coming up in just a little bit more than a year from now. Follow the money. Follow the money the money it all either comes directly from or in every case has to go by the people that have the money labor union across the board they got lots of money so everybody's pushing for more and not everybody but a lot of people in in politics are pushing for more and more and more mandates And what that's doing is it's really impacting staffing at hospitals across the nation. And it's really getting bad in more than one way. A lot of people are struggling to get attention when they have a a real need, and need medical care to go to hospitals, emergency rooms. They're short-staffed because hospitals can't get nurses. They're fighting to keep the ones that they have. If you don't have nurse staffing, you don't have a hospital. You don't have the ability legally to operate except based on the bed numbers, the bed counts that you can cover with your nurses. Example, in the rural northeastern corner of Missouri, Scotland County Hospital has been so low on staff that it sometimes had to turn patients away in the middle of the surge in COVID cases across the nation. The national staffing crunch led to hospital CEO, Dr. Randy Tobler, hiring more travel nurses to fill the gaps. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can go get these per diem nurses, but they are so stinking expensive. He called the number crazy with rates at $200 an hour for these travel nurses and much higher. A little more than 60% of his staff is fully vaccinated. But even as COVID cases rise, a vaccine mandate is out of the question. If that becomes our differential advantage, we probably won't have one until we are forced to have one, he said. Maybe that's the thing that will keep nurses here. As of a week ago, 39% of US hospitals announced vaccine mandates. Across Missouri and the nation, hospitals are weighing more than patient and caregiver health in determining whether to mandate COVID vaccine for staffers. The market for healthcare workers, strained by more than a year and a half of coping with the pandemic, continues to be limited. Urban hospitals with deeper pockets for shoring up staff they have implemented vaccine mandates, may even use them as a selling feature to recruit staffers and patients. While that's going on, their rural and regional counterparts they are out in the cold. They're left with hard choices as case numbers surge again. Obviously, it's going to be a real challenge for these small rural hospitals to mandate a vaccine when they're already facing such significant workforce shortages. Without mandates, that could lead to a desperate cycle. Areas with fewer vaccinated residents likely half fewer vaccinated hospital workers, making them more likely to be hard hit by the Delta variant sweeping across the nation. In the short term, mandates might drive some workers away, but the surge could also squeeze the hospital workforce further as patients flood in and staffers take sick days. Rural COVID-19 mortality rates were almost 70% higher on average Than urban rates for the week ending August 15th. Now, that's just one isolated week. Despite the scientific knowledge that COVID vaccinations reduce the risk of infection, hospitalization, and death, the lack of a vaccine mandate can serve as a hospital recruiting tool. In Nebraska, example, the state Veterans Affairs Agency prominently displays the lack of vaccine requirements for nurses on its job site. It all comes down, the story that we're referencing here, it comes down to workforce shortages, especially in more vaccine-hesitant communities. And the woman that said that noted that some regional healthcare systems don't qualify for staffing assistance from the National Guard as they have fewer than 200 beds. A potential vaccine mandate further endangers their staffing numbers. So, we've created the perfect storm in healthcare in the nation. We have this uproar, this furor, these politically induced and fed rants and raves. You've got to get the vaccine. You've got to get it. On the other side of the equation, you have tens of thousands of doctors worldwide. And that number is growing every day. It's probably hundreds of thousands of worldwide doctors are now after the fallout the results are coming in about the vaccinations the vaccines themselves all of the problems that are there we know 20,000 plus people have died by adverse reactions to the vaccinations since they started being given in January and that 20,000 number is just a, a small estimate the cdc themselves say that the VARS, which is the vaccine adverse effects report those have to be reported to the cdc for those numbers to be included it's as it's off as much as 80 to 90%. that would mean 150,000 to 200,000 people have died there in spite of all of that the push is more vaccinations more vaccinations so we've created the perfect storm. We have testing the PCR test that the CDC tells us are inaccurate. How inaccurate are they? Some estimates are 50 to 70 percent come back false positives. That means how many? I mean, that would mean 50 to 60 to 70 percent of the people that are testing positive, they're going through the hospital protocols. In many cases, they're being entered in the hospital. The expenses are skyrocketing for that. Meanwhile, there are people out there that need access, and because the demands for vaccination for healthcare workers are growing in big, big crescendo, a lot of people listening to what they are being told by very educated scientists in their business, hundreds of thousands worldwide, massive amounts of testing that prove. These vaccines are not only ineffective in many regard, they're hurting us, and in many cases, hurting us permanently. There are too many unanswered questions. And then here comes politics. Squeeze. Make demands. Pressure. Threaten. Big, 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 big government. That's what it's all about, folks. It's all about power and who has the most power in this nation the United States government
6: Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word from Your Wallet.
0: Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know.
6: I'm feeling these gas prices too. I'm
0: the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow,
6: that sure adds up.
0: (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now.
6: Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%.
3: Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the uh, uh, uh,
6: uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years money saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today.
0: KFC presents a Halloween tale. It came from the dark. It began like any other evening. They were hungry. Innocently, they went to KFC, where they discovered the new KFC dark meat menu.
6: Look at all those low prices! Have you ever seen chicken price this low?
0: Yes, dark, delicious pieces of KFC legs and thighs. Flavors like original recipe, extra crispy, and even tender roast. All at low, low prices.
1: Look at all those pieces
0: It's KFC's dark meat menu. Whatever you do, don't eat it alone. <laughs>
2: And speaking of vaccine mandates, Jimmy Kimmel, that scientist in Hollywood, you know him, Dr. Kimmel. Well, as in his return to late-night ABC, he took off for the entire summer. Nobody knows why he just took off for the entire summer. Kimmel wasted no time at all in making fun of, guess who? Unvaccinated Americans. Saying that individuals who have declined the COVID-19 vaccine and who have taken Ivermectin, don't deserve medical care. His comments were the latest by corporate media. To keep the Ivermectin story alive after two mainstream news outlets issued major corrections to their reports, incorrectly claiming large number of people were ingesting the drug, which is an increasingly popular but still unproven treatment for covid Kimmel launched his attack in his opening monologue in Tuesday's broadcast. He said it was a fun, it was not a fun Labor Day weekend COVID-wise. Remarking on the increase in cases, Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. The choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated people having a heart attack? Yep, come right on in. We'll take care of you, unvaccinated guy who gobbled the horse goo. Rest in peace, Wheezy. Oh my gosh, a very sensitive, caring, Hollywooder, a Hollywood elite. He's really got the facts straight. He is just another one. I mean, you can you can put them all out there. Everybody in Hollywood, they're uh, they're standing in line to be able to find a microphone or a TV camera to denigrate another drug this time ivermectin originally hydroxychloroquine millions of people worldwide have been saved by hydroxychloroquine and still today people like dr anthony fauci poopod why because he owned a piece of the company that created remdesivir and he touted remdesivir which it turned out they quit making it part of the protocol of covid treatment why because it was killing people Ivermectin, folks, you just heard Kimmel go after denigrating ivermectin and people that take it. He just forgets about or doesn't care that in 2015 the creators, the two doctors who created ivermectin won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for creating ivermectin, which let me let me say it like Joe Biden, it works. It helps people that have COVID. 19 if used in the proper way in a doctor's care facts don't matter to these people political partisanship the narrative of the day elitism they don't even think like regular Americans and regardless of what they tell us folks they do not give a rip Talking a good game is not being a player, a good player. Fitting in is not going to make somebody live or make somebody die necessarily. The truth is all that matters, and these people need to give up on this one-sided crap that they keep spitting at us and demeaning us with. Conservatives progressives, liberals, whatever you want to call. I don't know about you, but I'm a whole lot more than just a label. I'm a human. That's a wrap on the day. Enjoyed being here today. You have a great Thursday. Back tomorrow, we'll bring you all the good stuff to make your weekend begin off great. You're going to have a great weekend. But even between now and then, you have a wonderful Thursday. Remember, no matter what's facing you, And what you're facing. I promise you, the best is yet to come. It's gonna get better, folks. It's gonna get better. See ya!
1: And his
5: blood has ransomed people for all God. From every tribe and language, people, every nation. Where warriors have fallen, there's a resurrection coming. It's your time to rise and shine. Are being healed by the peace. Hey. Oh yeah hey. bringing us power through unity. Hey. Where warriors are falling, there's a resurrection coming. Troubles, troubles coming.